0: Welcome to Quick Bits. Today I'm covering the week of March 27th to the 31st, the second and final week of the Gwyneth Paltrow ski crash trial. The verdict is in. Gwyneth Paltrow, one big kind of. And today I'm going to take a look at the plaintiff's last testimony, and then the closing arguments and the moments that mattered and entertained. We need to look at both. This was a quirky trial, and we've got a lot to talk about quickly. I'm legal analyst Emily D. Baker. This is the Quick Bits, where I break down just the main points of the pop culture and entertainment cases I'm currently covering on YouTube and the Emily Show podcast. Let's get into it. This trial is what I covered live on my long-form channel all week, covered most every witness. It was a very interesting trial, and I've seen lots of this trial was a waste of time I disagree. This trial is exactly what trials are for. It might seem like a small thing to those watching, but Terry Sanderson was convinced that he should sue Gwyneth Paltrow. And Gwyneth Paltrow's attorney said in his closing that she wasn't going to pay the ransom. Anyone can sue anyone for anything, but imagine a car accident scenario where you get hit in your car and someone turns around and says, No, you hit me and then sues you for it. Would you want to acquiesce in that situation, even though you know you might be dragged through a public trial? But with Gwyneth Paltrow, there is a question of whether her insurance was paying for this trial and whether her insurance decided in that defense that she would be going to trial. There is that as a consideration as well. But I can understand not wanting to acquiesce, even though being in trial for two weeks over a ski collision is a giant pain in the ass. So that's where we find this final week. We had two very interesting closing arguments. But before we get into closing arguments, I want to talk about the plaintiff's second round of testimony in this trial. As we have seen in other trials, time becomes a factor. The court gave both parties 20 hours of trial time, and you could really see the attorneys struggling with that time management as we rolled into day eight for closing arguments. We saw that particularly when Gwyneth Paltrow's attorney, Mr. Owens, got up and said, I only have 30 minutes. (laughs) Why are you telling the person that you're questioning that? But what had happened leading up to that is when Terry Sanderson was on cross-examination at the end of the day. Gwyneth Paltrow's team said, look, we would like to bring in our medical experts. We need to start our case-in-chief. We have people flying in. We're already in a time crunch for the scheduling of those experts and the parties that work at Deer Valley, so we cannot finish Terry Sanderson's cross-examination now. We need to finish this later. The court agreed, the parties agreed, but then that puts the plaintiff in the position where they haven't rested yet and could then still call other witnesses. And then the defense can't make their motions to dismiss the case and for a directed verdict. At some point, the defense said, look, we need to know if the plaintiff is resting. And the court was like, well, he's still on cross-examination. So after asking for clarification from the court, Paltrow's team decided that they would recall Terry Sanderson as their own witness if they needed to, and that they would essentially waive the rest of their cross-examination and say, look, fine, we want the plaintiff to rest so we know that we're in our case and we can apportion our time better. Again, time playing the biggest factor here. When they recall Terry Sanderson to the stand, they are then able to treat him as a hostile witness. I get this question a lot on live stream. When is a witness hostile? And it doesn't mean angry or frustrated. It's just like malice has a meaning that doesn't mean mad. Hostile just means opposing, and it would actually almost be better if it said, allow me to treat this as an opposing witness, because it really means you're treating the witness that you've called as a witness the other party has called, so you get to question them through leading questions, not like a direct examination with open-ended questions, but with very tight leading questions like a cross-examination. Normally, you cannot cross-examine the witnesses that you call. Unless they are opposed. So that is why you will see Owen's style in this direct examination of Terry Sanderson as a cross examination, because he is calling the opposing party. Now, of course, Sanderson's attorneys could have done this with Gwyneth Paltrow, and they chose not to. So we're going to take a look at a little bit of this cross examination. I think it was Owen's best cross examination of the trial. Put this man on a clock all the time, direct, sweet, and to the point. I thought. This cross-examination was tremendously effective, and it is the cross-examination that matters most. Remember, Terry Sanderson is accusing Gwyneth Paltrow of causing life-altering injuries, changing his entire world. But then you take a look at what he's up to after the ski crash, and this is what happens in all of these types of personal injury cases, and you see that maybe the picture he painted in his case-in-chief is not exactly what's going on here. Let's take a look at that cross-examination now. And yes, I am going to have this slightly sped up because it's the Quick Bits.
1: Post incident travel by Dr. Sanderson. Mr. Sanderson, did you go to Peru? Yes. After the collision.
0: I love that they listed them all for the jury to see. We don't see all of them, but they listed them all for the jury to see with the dates. This accident was in February 2016. All of these
1: are after the collision, okay? Yes. Visit Machu Picchu? Costa Rica, yes. Walk the Golden Trail? Yes. Machu Picchu is in Peru? Uh, Yes. Floated down the Amazon? Uh, Yes, I guess so. Costa Rica, did you do a zip line? Same trip, yes. Did you go to Europe? Visit Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, France, Belgium? With my daughter, Jenny, yes. Bottom half, James, please. Did you go to the Netherlands three times? I don't remember. Well, if you're disputing it, then we pull it out of your out of your deposition. I don't remember. I have no reason to dispute it or agree. Okay. Morocco twice, true. Uh, likely, very likely. Canary Islands. I need to know if you're disputing these things. I can't dispute it. No. Thailand. Did you go to Thailand after the collision? Yes. Did you visit at least the states of Washington, Oregon, Montana, and Idaho? Those after are kind of close together. Probably yes.
0: They then proceed to go through picture after picture from his personal Facebook account and talk about all of the things that he did in the plaintiff's closing. His attorney said for 16 hours a day, every single day, he is dealing with pain and suffering. And the defense is bringing out all of these pictures, painting a very different story. And Sanderson doesn't ever testify that this travel took a toll on him. And I think that that mattered to the jury in a very big way. Some of the jurors have spoken out about this case, and I will be covering that in my long form content this week. So we'll hear a little bit about it on Quick Bits next week. Let's get back to what Sanderson had to say.
1: And a cool looking waterfall. It is. Let's go to 62. Is this you after the collision uh, up in the ski resorts or what is this? About a year later. Um, I think I was just walking up the hills above my house. Okay, page 63. Is this you skiing? Pictures of him skiing. Um, It could be. I did go with Robin one time to try it out. I tried it by myself twice. Okay, 60. Well, I'm asserting that this is you skiing after the collision. Do you dispute it? It was that following year. I I don't dispute it. Okay, 64. Is this you out with your drinking buddies? Yes. Uh, Did you?
0: Picture after picture after picture.
1: Are you in this river cruise, river boat? I believe so. By the way,
0: the photo that he shows for the audio audience is a Snake River whitewater rafting. It is not a river cruise. It is legitimately a giant whitewater raft. So he is whitewater rafting, not river cruising. Um,
1: Page 81, did someone you were with or you go parish sailing? This was in Switzerland. No, I didn't go parish sailing. So this is just a stranger in Switzerland. Yes, okay. eighty two. Is this you and your girlfriend? Uh, it's my daughter, Polly. Polly. Thank you for telling me that.
0: The attorney Which does that multiple not times. by my question. Is and this- then he keeps saying, "I hope Polly's not offended by my question. This is the moment that really got this attorney. And he talks about it in closing as well, where the plaintiff is traveling and riding a camel in 2018.
1: I believe 83. Is this you on a camel? It is. (laughs) What country? It's Morocco because Ikea had Morocco heritage. Let's go to 84. Is that?
0: Morocco. They go through his travels extensively. And I think for the plaintiff, that was a turning point because again, the life he portrayed to the jury and the life he was living and sharing on social media are very different. Let's go ahead and juxtapose that to what his attorneys said about Terry Sanderson in their closing arguments. Both sides had about an hour for closing. Plaintiff had a little more time because they hadn't used as much time during the trial. I don't know if they made great use with it. They had some analogies that were hard to follow, one about milking cows and executive function, but Their theme of the closing was bring Terry down from that mountain. And we will get to that very dramatic soliloquy about a part of Terry being left on that mountain. It made him sound as if he had died climbing Everest. And that is clearly not what happened in this case. But they started off in a way that I've never seen a plaintiff's attorney start off a civil injury case ever. So let's take a look at the plaintiff's closing argument with a simple country lawyer and the very famous Mr. Bueller, who apparently is related to Ferris. I'm teasing he said it in court. He summarized "Well, I'm famous, my cousin is Ferris in court, which was um, an interesting moment. The judge didn't smile once during that. Not, not even a little bit.
2: Gwyneth Paltrow in this case uh, is not a liar. Terry Sanderson is not a liar.
0: Well, sir. Okay? Uh,
2: Gwyneth is a good person. Okay? Uh, she's a good mother and she loves her children and she's passionate about many things. Now, we don't usually say good things about other people in our closing, no. but I think that's an accurate statement. Okay? I think that she believes and I believe Gwyneth Paltrow.
0: The plaintiff is giving their closing statement and started off with Gwyneth Paltrow is not a liar and I believe Gwyneth Paltrow. So the jury has to be sitting there going, well, then why shouldn't we believe Gwyneth Paltrow? He then gets into, I think she sincerely believes her version of the events. Well, both things are true then. If you think she sincerely believes and you think your client sincerely believes, the jury gets to decide who they believe. It was just a very odd way to start out a closing that ended with a very dramatic recitation of events from this trial.
2: I'm going to say just a few more things here in terms of time over to my colleague Lawrence Bueller. This is actually his case. He asked me to help.
0: Um, this is towards the end of closing That our day
2: event. when Terry left his home to go skiing at Deer Valley that meetup group. February 26, 2016. He anticipated, like many, many other days in his life, a fun day of skiing. Okay? And, uh, he, he never returned home that night as the same Terry. He never came home, figuratively speaking. Terry has tried to get off that mountain, but he's really still there. Part of Terry will forever be on the bandana run, figuratively.
0: He never came home. Part of Terry will forever be on the bandana run. The picture the plaintiffs painted of Terry Sanderson and his own social media posts are so vastly different. And then when you look at the mechanics of a ski collision, his side just didn't make sense. And I think this type of over-dramatization isn't helpful because his life did change some. He had multiple broken ribs there is some controversy about whether he had a concussion or not and how long the symptoms lasted, but it's pretty clear that he sought medical treatment for that. They could have gone with that in a much less dramatic fashion. I don't think in this case the overselling it after going through photo after photo of parasailing and and whitewater rafting, the picture they're painting is just not the same. And the plaintiff ends it with asking for over $3 million, and asking to bring Terry home from that mountain with a verdict finding for him. Let's take a look at Gwyneth Paltrow's attorney's closing arguments. The theme of closing for the defense was he hit her. Very simple, very clear. Yes, they got into the more technical aspects. Yes, they replayed their um, recreations, and then said, these are photos. They're not even claymation. I was like, where did that come from? But he hit her. He hit her. I found that part of Owen's closing argument effective. It's simple. It's concise. It's not overly dramatic for what it is. He hit her. Let's take a look at some of the moments from the closing of Gwyneth Paltrow's attorney. It's because of him.
1: He hit her. He hurt her. And he wants $3 million for it. That's not fair. The easy thing for my client would have been to write a check and be done with it. But what does that tell her kids? It, you just, well, it's cost of business. No, it's wrong. It's actually wrong that he hurt her and he wants money from her. And that's why we're
0: here. I think that's a very effective way to argue the case. Keep it very simple. No dramatic language. He hit her. He's asking for millions, and he turned around and sued her after he hit her.
1: Now, she has a $1 counterclaim. My wife said, don't waive the dollar, and I'm not waiving the dollar.
0: I think your wife's probably right on this, Owen. <laughs> don't wave the dollar. I thought it was really funny. The amount of talking through this attorney gives is kind of hilarious he repeatedly is like my client is telling me to sit down my wife has told me not to wave the dollar around he's constantly telling the jury what he's being told to do maybe he's looking at this jury and they think it's funny that he's just you know oh gee shucks I'm just being told what to do by everybody around me I don't know it's uh it's an interesting thing they then go on to talk about the mechanics of skiing and playing the animations, which leads to a moment that at the end of this trial had me absolutely laughing very loudly during my live stream because it was just such an interesting misphrasing that I couldn't help it. I found it delightfully funny. Um, and this attorney just kept moving. No hint that this was hilarious, but just kept moving. Talking about the ski collision, if it went down the way that Terry Sanderson said, how come your skis didn't? didn't disconnect? How did everybody keep their skis on? And we heard from the ski instructors on in Deer Valley that they had to take everybody's skis off. We heard from Ramon, the other witness, that Terry Sanderson still had his skis on. So the defense brought in an expert talking about ski bindings and ski releases and when they release. And we didn't see Sanderson have injury to his knees or to his ankles from his skis still being on in the type of collision that he explained. But as Owens is trying to explain that, as he has throughout this trial, the words get a little jumbled.
1: By the way, no one has, no one but Craig has the guy, the, the guy spread out, spread eagle with his head down the hill. There's no facial damage to his face. His skis stayed on. You've heard from these uh, structural uh, bioengineering people. If he came and got hit like Craig described, his skis would have popped right off. you
0: don't you don't keep your skis when you get blown. You don't keep your skis when you get blown. And that those are the words we're leaving Mr. Owens with from this trial. Let's take a look at the verdict form. The verdict came in in just about two hours, and after pulling the jury, we know that this verdict was, in fact, unanimous, even though it did not have to be. Only six of the eight jurors had to decide this verdict all eight of them decided this unanimously. Let's take a look. This is the verdict form filled out by the jury. So members of the jury, please answer the following questions in the order they are presented. If you find that the issue has been proved by a preponderance of the evidence, that is a much lower standard than we see in criminal law. Answer yes. If not, answer no. At least six jurors must agree on the answer to all of the required questions, but they need not be the same six on each question. Once six or more of you have agreed on the answer to each question that is required to be answered, your four person should sign and date the form and advise the bailiff that you have reached a verdict. Gwyneth Paltrow, one, was Gwyneth Paltrow at fault? Answer, no. So they don't proceed to any of the following questions with regard to Gwyneth Paltrow. Was Gwyneth Paltrow at fault? No. Terry Sanderson, was Terry Sanderson at fault? They answered, yes. Was Terry Sanderson's fault a cause of Gwyneth Paltrow's harm? Yes. If your answers to questions one and three are both no, you should not proceed any further. But then they proceed because their answers were yes. Comparative fault, Gwyneth Paltrow. What percent of the fault do you assign to Gwyneth Paltrow? If the answer to either one or two is no, then enter zero. So, because they found her not at fault, they enter zero. Proceed to question seven Terry Sanderson. What percent of the fault do you assign to Terry Sanderson? If your answer to either three or four is no, then enter zero. The total must equal 100. So, they're told that they have to give Gwyneth Paltrow zero. That means Terry Sanderson takes 100. If Terry Sanderson's fault is less than 50%, answer question eight they don't. Damages Terry Sanderson, he gets none. Damages Gwyneth Paltrow, what amount fairly compensates? And that is one dollar. Economic damages, this cannot exceed a dollar. That was a stipulated amount of damages. The party stipulated to the damages and sought only that dollar and can later proceed to seek any um attorney's fees. This is the end of this case. We will see a fight over attorney's fees. I don't think it's gonna get dropped. So when those hearings are in court, that can be an evidentiary hearing. They can only receive attorney's fees if it is determined by the court that Terry Sanderson brought this lawsuit in bad faith. And we will see what happens with that. I'm sure it will be streamed. I will be very excited. Let me know what you thought of this episode and if this was helpful. And I will see you in the next episode of Quick Bits for deep dives into the stories that I covered here. You can find them on my YouTube channel at The Emily D. Baker and The Emily Show Podcast. I stream every Tuesday and Thursday. The podcast goes live on Wednesdays. And if you want more Law Nerd community, come join us at lawnerdsunite.com.